I'll say, bless the Lord. You say, oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Thanks, guys, for leading us in worship through music. Uh, incredible. And Kairos, great job. Your voice is sounding great, man. Let it rip. Good times, buddy. Way to go. Um, I'm Chris Brooks. I'm the pastor here. Glad you guys decided uh, to join us tonight. For those of you who don't know, um, we're wrapping up a four-week relationship series, um, and there's no way around talking about relationships. Sometimes it's going to get awkward, um, and so we just decided to just fully embrace that, and we put the power of actually naming this series in your hands, um, which could or could not be a good thing. Either way, it's happened already. It's too late to turn back now. So we voted on it. We've got a lot of suggestions from you guys, and I believe that the clear winner for our relationship series in 2016 will now forever be known as Swipe Right for Jesus. Swipe. It had to be explained to me. Um, sorry for those of you who broke your phone right before Kairos tonight, but there's still hope. Um, Good. So I've had an incredible week. It's been busy. Father's Day was, was fun. I have four kids too many. Um, but we, we, we had a blast this past week. Lots going on with Kairos during this month. Thursday night, we got to go out to the Sounds game uh, as part of the Kairos community. Awesome. Here's my take on Sounds games. Do I have any baseball fans in the room? <laughs> Chances are you weren't there. Because um, <laughs> Nashville sports scene in the minor league it's pretty interesting. It felt like a, a reason for everybody to hang out with a live baseball game in the background, which was fine with me. I took it as an opportunity to teach my kids how to chew sunflower seeds, um, which my youngest is not doing well at all. He, he choked. We had to give him the Heimlich a couple times. Um, but yeah, so we'll try real tobacco next time and see if that helps at all. <laughs> just, just kidding. We'll use cigarettes. Um, so. Not true. So we have fun Thursday night, and then had, had a good weekend, um, and so we're excited. We're here worshiping tonight. I want to let you guys also know, one of our uh, talks we did, we've been marching through the book of Ruth and just seeing uh, the Lord's Hesed love demonstrated in her faithfulness and also in Boaz, and we're going to finish that up tonight. But one of the talks that we did, we said our bottom line statement was, looks can make you look, but they don't make you attractive. And you're never more attractive than when you're serving. And so if anyone's not feeling attractive this week, I just want to let you know this Thursday we have a service opportunity for you. If you just want to feel like, man, I'm just feeling kind of frumpy right now. Um, just not really. Beach body's not where I want it to be. Maybe that's just me. Uh, but I believe Stay Puff Marshmallow Man is coming back in. And people are going to love it. So I'm working real hard on my dad bod. Um, <laughs> But this Thursday night, we're going to go over to the Tennessee Baptist Children's Home, and that's one of our partners here at Brentwood, and we're going to give the parents of the group homes a date night out. And so we're going to send them out, we're going to bless them in the name of Jesus, and we're going to watch all the kids. We did this last month, huge success. We had a two-to-one ratio, two people from Kairos for every one kid. And so we're in the gym, we order pizza, I dominate nine square, so anybody thinks they got any game, you want to show up Thursday night, I, I will mercilessly spike the ball on you um, and make no apologies for it. My kids will be there, we just kind of put them in the mix, and if you want to take one of those home, we're pro-adoption both ways, so <laughs> just bring them back before they graduate, please. 
Um, so, yeah, Tuesday night with love, and there's just a strong connection with the Tennessee Baptist Children's Home. Lauren is heading that up. She's got a great story about growing up in this community and having a best friend since junior high who happened to call that place home. Um, and her dad's in, involved in there as well. And then for those of you who don't know, this church was actually birthed out of the Tennessee Baptist Children's Home. So that's where this church actually first started meeting. And so we're actually one of its children. And so we're going to go back there and we're going to live into that legacy. And tonight, right after the service, you can sign up at the info bar, jump in with us. Even if you're not good hanging out with kids, um, their closets sometimes in the gym can be a mess. So if you're a really organized anal person, I love you, I want to be friends with you, um, we'll just, you can go over in the closet and just straighten up rollerblades, okay, for the glory of God, all right? I'll take care of the kids, you be neat freak, and the kingdom of God will expand. Does that sound like a deal? So incredible opportunity, one, to serve, and then also get connected with the community during the summer months. Uh, it's just a, an amazing opportunity, and I look forward. Uh, we got to meet with the president of the, the children's home, and we just came and said, on behalf of Kairos, how can we bless you? How can we be a source of blessing? We want to leverage our station in life so that we can be a resource for you. And so we're dreaming up new and exciting ways about how we can continue to make the gospel known 500 feet that way. I don't know if that's the exact measurement. Someone can correct me on that later, but it's, it's right over there. It's going to be incredible. Uh, so that's what's coming up. I think we got more stuff, but I can only process three things at one time. So just be on the lookout. We'll let you know what else we've got going on. But it's a good time to be a part of the Kairos community. Uh, we're going to wrap up our, our last talk, um, and tonight's talk is this, uh, how to sabotage your future marriage. So um, some of you are already doing that, so congratulations. Um, <laughs> we'll just go ahead and go, that, don't do that. Um, and I want to be sensitive because more and more as Kairos as a church grows, um, we have intergenerational, we have people of all ages, we specifically target college and young adults and make no apologies for that. If you're not in that demographic, you're welcome here, we love you, we want you to continue to be a part of it, but I know there are married couples in the room, there are people who have already had a failed marriage, there are people in here who are in a marriage that are walking through a really, really tough time, not sure if you're going to make it. And I just want to let you know that the grace of God is here and it is available and we're pulling for you, and we can want to be a resource for you as much as possible. But I think you guys would agree, as we're talking to some people who one day hope to be in a marriage, that these are some of the things you wish were said to you, or you wish you would actually listen to or follow through with. And so we're gonna, that's what we're going to do tonight. Um, and one of the things that I love about Kairos is it is a unique and honest place to, to connect to God and connect each other. And so we're just going to try to have some real straight talk. This is not one of my favorite things to do, but it's going to be real application heavy. So we're just going to talk about incredible ways that we can apply some of the principles that we've learned. I'd rather just talk about God's beauty and expanding the kingdom and vision, 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 and everyone walk away and go, I have no idea what to do next, but that was pretty cool. Uh, that's my favorite kind of sermon. This one is let's just put some legs to what we've been talking about the past three weeks and see if we can't connect our obedience to our intentions for our future relationships. Does that sound like a good idea? Here's one of the stories that prompt a talk like this. Um, I was at a family get-together, and I was having a conversation with one of my family members, uh, married and about to have their second child, and he found out that it was a girl. And I'm like, dude, are you excited? It's going to be awesome. And I had shared with him my vast knowledge and pastoral experience about 
having daughters and being afraid and stepping in with boldness and assurance about how you can do that. And he looked at me and just said, Chris, I'm not sure I trust my spouse to raise my daughter. And that's when you just go, oh. And what he's saying is, I don't know if I want my daughter to become the woman that I married. And so I tried to pray and counsel. About five years later, that, that marriage ended. And I just wonder if I could go back beforehand and ask them, hey, do you think we can address some things that are already existing before you guys step into this relationship? My heart's desire is for you guys, if marriage is what God has intended for you, that you step into it, you understand that it's not going to be perfect. You can't find another perfect individual, but more than concentrating on finding the one, you're concentrating on becoming the one. And that we understand that your relationships will never be any healthier than you are. And so your primary area of responsibility is concentrating on how do I become the man or the woman God has intended me to be. And so the great news about that is the Bible continues to speak about that. So if you have your, your Bible or if you have your device, we're going to be in Ruth chapter 4 tonight. Ruth chapter 4. And hopefully we're going to get our storybook ending. So it's been an incredible story. If you guys get a chance, read the book of Ruth all the way through. It's a lot of fun, a lot of twists and turns, a lot of uh, interesting things in that text. I won't revisit that, but it makes me laugh. Um, so we're in Ruth chapter 4, and uh, we'll start in verse 13. While you're turning there, I'll just pray over us. Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Speak, Lord, and your servants are listening. Amen. So Ruth 4, starting in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Then women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. I wish, I wish some people would visit me from the church when we had our child. Matt Morris, you just had your first child. Piper, she's here. Yes, we're so excited. She looks like Cat. God is good. Did anyone come to the hospital and just go, May you be famous throughout all of Brentwood and Nashville? Like, no, we need to revise that. Maybe I'll try that later, and it'll be just as weird then. <laughs> Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. The women living there says, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. I'll say the word of the Lord. You say thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what's really fun is we can go into this book thinking it's a relationship story about Ruth finding a husband. What it winds up being is a story about the lineage of Jesus Christ himself. So a Moabitess who's from a foreigner, who's poor, who immigrated to Israel on their welfare system, trying to glean food out of a field just to feed her and her mother-in-law because of her faithfulness and because of God's loyal love, winds up getting grafted into the story of God 
and is mentioned in the Gospels as someone who is in the lineage in the house of David who ultimately brings our Savior, Jesus. And sometimes I wonder if we have any idea in our small, boring, mundane, routine tasks, the story that God is crafting all around us every day. And I love just seeing Boaz, man. It's, it's such a reminder of how the Lord is faithful and loving towards us. Boaz is in, he has every reason to be bitter and cynical and jaded. He's done everything right. He's a landowner. He's done really, really well. He's taking care of his employees. He's taking care of the poor. Uh, he lets Ruth glean in the fields. He watches out for her. And he's an older guy and just has every reason to be bitter and jaded against God and going, you know what? I'm just never going to find anybody. But he stays faithful and he stays hopeful. And the Lord chooses to bring someone in his path. And it's probably not who he expected. But when she showed up, he was ready and he took responsibility. And I love the fact that God has let us glean in his fields of righteousness. That this holy, righteous God who, as sinners, being in his presence, we should probably just be consumed by his holiness, makes a way through Jesus so that we can become the righteousness of God. And he sees us when we were foreigners, poor, distant, couldn't do anything to help ourselves, nothing about us that would be desirable or redeemable, yet he says, you bear my image and I will be your kinsman redeemer. I will graft you into my family and into my story. And because we are the adopted sons and daughters of God, Hebrews tells us that now Jesus Christ is our brother. And that some of us in this room as saints, as holy ones, as sons and daughters with God, have more in common with this family oftentimes than we do with our blood relatives. Because that's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I love hearing that. And I think that's incredible. And I do understand that's Ruth and Boaz's story. That may not be your story. It may not be mine. It may not be everyone's in here. But we still see gospel hope permeated through every page. But I think sometimes we're well-intentioned when we try to apply wisdom and principles. And we see what's worked for people in the past. And we try to go, yeah, I think that's, that's a pretty good thing. Like, yeah, that, that's probably how you should prepare yourself for a future marriage or a future relationship, and you start to get some of these sticky statements, which I'm sure part of the ones that I come up with in five years, I'll be up here telling you it's absolute garbage. Don't listen to any of it. But one of the things I love about this place is we can push back against conventional wisdom. We can hold up what people say and go, yeah, that's a good idea. And we say, well, what does the Bible actually say? And is that actually true? So I've got a list of five like relationship advice for marriage. And maybe you've heard some of them. We'll put them up on the screen. And when they come up, if you've heard them before, just kind of groan, okay? Especially if you hear them from your in-laws when you go home and you just get that look from your mom like, really, nothing right here? What's going on? How long do I have to wait for people to bless me in Israel and say my name's going to be great and Naomi has something better than seven sons, okay? So here, here we go. This is not a definitive list, but let's walk through some of these and see if... Uh, the Bible might have something different to say to us. Okay, the first one, have you ever heard uh, this one before? Don't marry the person you can live with. Marry the person you can't live without. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> let's, 
<laughs> so the answer to that is no, please marry the person you can live with. It actually helps. <laughs> right? If you marry the person you can't live without, that's called codependent, and I need you to get Ken Kors card after this talk, okay? You, you've got some issues that that person is not gonna solve. They're just gonna exacerbate, okay? That, that, that is a sign for like needy, greedy, suffocating, oh my gosh, it's in trouble, okay? So what we know is that God has designed us um, to find all of our fullest satisfaction in Christ Jesus and in his community. And bless the Lord if he brings them alongside of us, but we're moving in a direction to make sure that the kingdom of God is expanded for his good and his glory. And that is our divine call on our lives. And if marriage happens to come as a part of that picture, bless the Lord. But seriously, the person you can't live without, not probably the best advice ever. All right, how about this one? Marry the person who completes you. Well, you, now, a lot of you are millennials, so unless you've watched this on Netflix, do you guys know where this comes from? Jerry Maguire. Thanks a lot, Tom Cruise. Your personal life is a prime example of why we're not listening to any of your advice, bro. No one bought it. No one bought it, okay? Don't marry the person that completes you. Marry the person that compliments you, right? If, someone, if you're waiting for one person to complete you, you're setting yourself up for a lifetime of disappointment. That means that you've made that person God, and they've become an idol. And so the definition of idolatry is when you take it a good thing and make it a God thing, which is a bad thing. And so there's nothing wrong with someone to step inside and to compliment you and to help you become the person God who has intended you to become. But when you put that up as an idol, it will disappoint you, and it will shatter you into a thousand pieces. Next one. How many people have heard this? Marry your best friend. <laughs> like, well, what are you talking about, Chris? That's awesome advice, right? And actually, I'm here. My spouse is my best friend. How dare you? <laughs> Maybe better advice is this. Marry the person your best friend approves of. Right? Because once again, when we said, hey... True love doesn't wait. It starts right now with the people that are right around you. And if you're looking for a groom, concentrate on investing in your bridesmaids. And if you're looking for a bride, concentrate on your groomsmen. So sacrifice is not a spiritual gift, okay? It's something that takes practice. Commitment is something that you learn how to do in relationships. So once you get married, that doesn't magically imbue you with that power, okay? All it does is mean is you spent a lot of money to stand up and profess a vow on some, someone. The real test becomes when you actually start living out day to day. So again, um, a lot of counselors will tell you this, the lifeblood to any relationship is outside friendships. And here's a warning sign for those of you um, in relationships. If your relationship continues to isolate you and withdraw you from the people who are closest to you and speak truth into your life, you're in a danger zone. Good. How about this one? Has anyone ever heard this one before? Make sure you're sexually compatible. It's like, am I supposed to, what, whoa, that just got weird. <laughs> oh, we're just going to avoid that altogether. <laughs> um, right? Uh, again, Kairos is a place where we're going to have an honest and unique attempt at connecting with God. And if so, we've got to talk about, let's, let's be honest, some of you are like, yeah, yeah, I know, true love waits, I'm trying to save myself for marriage, but seriously, don't doesn't, that's a big part, right? 
I need to make sure that I'm sexually compatible with someone, and how will I know that? What if I get into my marriage and all of a sudden I find out we're not sexually compatible? I just have a confession. I'm not sure what that means, not being sexually compatible, okay? I'm not trying to minimize anybody's issues. I've got plenty of them my own, but anyway. Um, so, <laughs> I, <laughs> not making light of it. I probably am, I'm not intentionally making light of this. What's the answer to this? I'm so flustered right now, I forgot what we decided to say. Thank you. <laughs> Make sure you're sacrificially compatible. As I, I think what's going to really help the mortar of your marriage is that the two of you are willing to sacrifice for the benefit of the other. And what that first line says, sexually compatible, the subtext of that is, can you meet my deepest physical needs? The subtext of this is, can I supply your deepest needs? Do you understand that? That's, in, that's intentionally a self-centered question. And that's what will sabotage your sexuality quicker than anything else. It's this incredible gift. It's wonderful. It's meant to be celebrated. But we always take God's good gifts, extract them out of the context that they were designed for, and elevate them up and say, if I don't get this, then I'm not following you. And that messes up God's design for how we're supposed to flourish. And I think for a lot of, I like what one Christian author says, he says, you are probably more sexually compatible with people than you are relationally compatible with people. And the problem is, once you're sexually compatible and you found that out, you're now in the fog of disillusionment. Because sex in the context of marriage is supposed to be this wonderful physical expression of intimacy that is celebrated because of the commitment and the bond that says, you're not allowed to walk away from me. And that you love me even when I don't feel attractive or I'm at my lowest or my ugliest. What that does is that raises that up and asks it to bear a weight it was never intended to bear. And you'll look past the fact that you're relationally incompatible simply because the sex is good. And if there's any married people in the room, it's getting really awkward and I'm okay with that. Um, if there's any married people in the room, it, I don't know if you'd answer this, I would. This is probably, my wife's probably not here tonight for these talks. Um, how much time do you actually spend having sex in your marriage? Like, honestly, let's just take waking hours, okay? And let me tell you this, every single person in the room, whatever you're thinking is dead wrong. Dead wrong, okay? So that's meant to be a piece of this incredible, wonderful covenant puzzle. And when we take it out and extract it and hold it up as God and as idol, we sabotage his intentions for us. Good, is that fair? I feel like I should ask for any questions or feedback, but that would be really awkward probably. <laughs> What's our next one? All you need is love. Can you hear it in the background? Is that a Beatles song? All you need is love. Yeah. No? Okay. Not true, okay? You need money. You're going to need a place to live, okay? You need a J-O-B. Okay, right? You need some clothes, because that one goes back to the first one where you think that's all you're going to be doing. No, it doesn't happen that way. Lord knows you need fast internet, or the marriage will never make it, okay? Because you've got to have some Netflix, all right? Or you two are going to get sick of each other real quick. I would say all you need is love and joy and patience 
and kindness and gentleness and self-control, against which there is no law. These are the primary attributes that you should be looking for and going, hey, it, first of all, can I control myself? And then do I see in someone that I'm considering as a future marriage partner, do they know how to practice self-control? Am I safe with them? Are we sacrificially compatible? Will they sacrifice what they want for the blessing and benefit of me, even if it doesn't feel right? And here's what I'm trying to say to you, because I'm a high feeler. Um, I messed up a lot of relationships because I elevated my feelings as God. And there was certain principles and commitments that I understood intellectually, but when my feelings contradicted them, I chose myself as the own God who would determine my own destiny. And I brought a lot of brokenness and scars into my marriage. And we've been gracious to work through some of that stuff and try to gracefully forgive one another and move into a future and to try real hard towards working towards who God intended me to become. But here's the deal that I'm telling you. I'm not saying your feelings aren't real. They may not be reliable. So that's why we look towards principles and biblical wisdom to go, God, how did you design marriage to flourish? And even when my feelings contradict what your word says, will I take a knee and bow and go, I know that you have my best interests in mind, even if it involves pain, suffering, and watch out, delayed gratification. Because isn't that what's the heart out of it? Isn't that why we're really impatient? Because we are in a modern consumeristic society where everything is propagated on you getting what you want and when you want it as long as you have the currency for it. And if you have the physical currency for physical pleasure and you choose not to cash it in and wait, why would you do anything different? Or would you say there's actually a better way? That I can learn how to be self-controlled, I can wait, and I can trust. Even in the darkest, most despairing moments of loneliness, I choose a different future by not compromising my principles and values right here and right now. Good. So, yeah, I think those, if you have any more of those, we can figure those out. Um, but I also want to talk real quick. Uh, Deborah Fleta is a marriage and family counselor. She's been married for 10 years, and she wrote a quick article that said, here are some things no one told us before we were married. And I want to share them with you because I think uh, she's on to some things here. One, conflict is a healthy part of marriage. So, First of all, it's not, oh, well, we never fight. That's, I don't necessarily know if that's a litmus test for it. Yeah, let's get married. Uh, eventually you will, um, and you're going to need to learn how to do that. Um, I was talking uh, to Boggs about this, and he said one of the greatest things that he had to get through is realizing, and this may be gender-specific for men. It's probably not, but I'll go ahead and jump on that grenade anyway, is that in conflict, um, you fight to win, not to resolve. Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever been there in a relationship and you won that fight, but boy, you lost, didn't you? And that's what a lot of us are taught, man. I don't know about you, in my family of origin, I learned to fight dirty. So I'm a, I'm a scrawny kid who moved around a lot. I learned how to use sarcasm, passive aggressiveness. I learned how the second I feel threatened, I withdraw, which is actually a form of violence. It's, it's one of the most subtle forms of violence. Um, and I think I'm holier than now because I'm withdrawing and I'm not engaging. And what I'm doing is I'm shaming and distancing from the people who are closest. And I choose not to address it and hold on to that bitterness. And then instead of addressing it, head forward and talking about 
how I was hurt or how we need to reconcile, I'll just keep giving you sarcastic comments about it and never forgive you and hold you bondage to that. My personality profile says this, says I readily forgive, but I rarely forget. <laughs> Freaking jerk. Yeah. <laughs> Those things, they're not worth anything. Second thing she said about marriage that no one told us, your sex life is a small fraction of your married life. It just is. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to ruin it, okay? It's fun. It's great when you're not tired. Um, it, it is. So, yes, look forward to it. Celebrate it. Protect it. it, it marriage and, and especially sexual intimacy, it is wonderful and it is powerful. So it's wonderful, so it's worth pursuing. It's powerful, so it's worth protecting. Um, you will have to relearn how to share. This one, <laughs> I always tell people there are two moments um, where you learn you are possibly the most self-centered person in the world. One is when you get married. And by the way, just so you know, these are the lies that we will actually tell you to get you into our club. Okay, you're like, oh yeah, get married, it's the greatest thing you'll ever do. And then you get married, you're like, get over here, sucker. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's hell, isn't it, right? <laughs> And it's your fault. Come on. All right. Sit down, dude. What's going on this week? Yeah. Oh, I remember that one. We love it. Because you can't get away from someone, and all of your insecurities and inadequacies come bubbling out, um, and you're having to relearn. Oh, my gosh. There was a really embarrassing moment in my marriage. Um, we're about three years into it. I've said, we're, we're po. We can't afford the O and the R. We're that poor. Right? <laughs> I happened to get like my first outside speaking event. And it's, you know, it's like this week long thing and they're paying me $500 and I'm like, oh, rich. God has honored my faithfulness. And now I'm cashing it in. And so we haven't even got the check yet. I'm in the car celebrating that, wow, I am man, I provide, okay? <laughs> And I, to be honest with you, this is how self-centered I was. I don't even remember what Audrey said, but she said, yeah, I think that would be great because we could use that $200 to finally get like this couch for the house. <laughs> and I can feel it rising. How dare you, woman? <laughs> and then, again, I readily forgive, I rarely forget. Her mother-in-law comes in town Guess what they do? They go shopping at TJ Maxx. What does Chris do? Sits at home with his ripped jeans. I don't get any presents when mommy comes in town. That's not fair. That's not how my mom treated me. Out of my mouth comes this. Hey, Audrey, I was going to spend that money because it was mine. At that point, I'll refer you back to the previous one. Your sex life is a small fraction of your married life. <laughs> Just got smaller. Yeah. And, like, and that thing hits, and you, you hear yourself saying things, and like, I don't even like you. <laughs> and I'm me. What's wrong with me? 
And so you have to push through that stuff. You got to relearn how to share. You, you got to figure out. And then the second part is then you have kids. And then you realize, oh my gosh, I really am the most selfish person ever. And it turns straight into division of labor. Like, uh, again, it's lies that we told to Matt and Kat. It's lies that we're telling to all our friends who are pregnant. It's going to be awesome. Great. <laughs> Can't wait for four weeks when you just got that glazed look and you're like, when the baby's crying, you're just hoping she wakes up first. <laughs> and you just learn that there is a whole new level of sacrifice and intimacy that I knew nothing about with these photoshopped images of romantic love and media that has sabotaged my brain since I was 13 years old, giving me a false concept of what humanity and marriage is all about. And I've got some new things to learn and some new ways to live so that I can provide a family and a structure where my children feel loved and they see me love their mom. The other thing she said, at some point you'll want to give up. I just, you need to hear that. Like everyone in marriage thinks that they're the first ones. At some point, you will want to throw in the towel and go, it's not possible. And those are the times where probably your best friends are the most important because they need to encourage you and they need to hold you accountable. And that's when counseling is absolutely indispensable because you're so ingrained and so busy and those issues are so deep in you that you need a third party's help to pull them out and go, okay, I will take ownership for what I need to work on. And God, I got to trust you that when I'm not feeling it, I'm not, I don't think there's a possible hope or future, you are still the God who redeems all things. And the last thing uh, she said is getting married is not your final destination. So we've talked about this before, but just a healthy reminder that every single one of us in here, whether or not you find a spouse in this lifetime, the marriage of us as the church to Jesus Christ is our final destination. And our goal here is to make God look glorious and wonderful and live abundantly in his power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And the best place to do that is if you're on mission and you're understanding who you are, how God has equipped you, and ruthlessly getting after that, the best place to look for your spouse is not someone who's going the opposite direction, but to look right beside you and see who's serving next to you. So again, when you're driving down the highway, most of the people you make eye contact with are not the ones that are going down this way. It's the ones that are keeping pace with you, and you glance over and go, oh, I didn't notice you there. And maybe some of the best things that you could do for your future marriage is plug into a local church, serve God, be a part of consistent community. Then all of a sudden, you're going to look up and look over and go, oh, didn't notice you before. That's actually how I got Audrey. I was like this the whole time. Hey, hey. And then finally, she looked over and I'm like, <laughs> And then it took a year of praying and fasting. Um, so I'll be writing that book later and you can buy it. So many of us have seen the carnage a lot of times in our parents' life, in our family's life, about what a dysfunctional relationship can do. Not only to us, not only to the people around it, and not only to each other. I wonder what it would look like if we decided, you know what? I've got my own issues, 
but I'm going to choose to live a different way. And I know what I'm feeling is real. Sometimes it may not be reliable, and I'm still going to trust God and move forward. Even when I feel alone or hopeless, I'm going to do what's in front of me, and I'm going to serve him and serve his kingdom and trust him at the right time. When I look over, I will recognize, and I will pursue, and I will take responsibility. And that the best thing I can do today for tomorrow's marriage is work on me through the power of the Holy Spirit and become the person God has intended for me to become. Nancy Ortberg says it this way. We put love on a pedestal. God put love on a cross. And that's what we're after. The greatest demonstration of love that this world has ever seen was sacrificial in nature. And Jesus, who was a single man, lived an abundant life in anticipation of a future marriage he would not see until the kingdom of God comes in all of its fullness and glory when he comes again to redeem his bride. And when he comes, hopefully, we'll be waiting, ready, and serving and recognize him when he does come because we're on mission with him right next to him. Amen? So let's try this. I've got a couple of prayers um, that I got from a guy who uh, is an author and he talked about this overwhelming desire to want to become married. And uh, it didn't happen for 10 years. <laughs> and he finally uh, found a spouse. And he went back and he wrote um, prayers for people who are not yet married. And so if you can, just kind of bow your heads. If closing your eyes helps, put your body in a comfortable position. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read a couple of these. And I'm going to pray over you. And then when I get done with that, if that's the prayer that you need to pray and you needed to hear, would you just slip your hand up? And so during this time, the band will come up. We will continue to pray and praise. If at this time you hear a prayer and you're like, that's it, and you want to go straight to one of our prayer walls, you can make your way there. Our prayer counselors are around. Because sometimes... Maybe you just need to take your prayer card and hand it to them and say, I need someone to pray for me or I need someone to celebrate for me. They're available as well. But here, here's a couple of prayers and you, you let me know which one resonates with you the most. The first one is, not my will, but yours be done. And that's obviously from Jesus in the garden. He says this, not my will, but yours be done, O Lord. If those seven words of the faith beneath them were enough to carry Jesus to the cross for my sake, they should be enough to carry me through anything in this life for your sake. Prepare me to make the most of marriage or singleness, whatever you have chosen and planned for me. If it's not for me to marry, help me to see all that you have planned for me in gifting, ministry, and singleness. Either way, anchor my heart firmly in you and not marriage. If that prayer resonates with you, would you just slip your hand up? Yeah. Here's another one. Father, satisfy me so fully now that I never look to anyone else to make me happy. You were the only one who could ever make me truly happy. No spouse, no friend, no job, no amount of money could ever fill the space inside of me that you made for you. You are more than enough for me, and yet my heart is still prone to wander. Order my loves according to your surpassing worth and beauty. 
Guard my eyes and mind from being preoccupied with anyone or anything besides you. Capture my heart again and secure it against all of Satan's lies. Does that prayer resonate with anybody? Give me the faith to trust you even when I walk through pain and disappointment alone. Help me to see every loss or disappointment, every moment of loneliness, every unfulfilled dream or desire, every evidence of weakness as an opportunity to remember and enjoy the strength, hope, and rest you bought for me with the blood of your son. Remind me that you are working in all of this every inch, every way, for my good and your glory. Does that prayer resonate with anybody? Send me the people I need to follow you. Father, surround me with people who love me and who love you more than they love me, especially why I would otherwise live alone. Reveal things about me to me through their eyes, their faith and their maturity and their words make me healthier, more effective member of the local church. Give me a deep abiding and growing desire to serve her in whatever ways I can. Rescue me from the blindness and self-centeredness of isolation. Does that resonate with anybody? Father, protect me from making work my God while I wait for my marriage. Help me to see any success or progress as evidence of your grace and wean me off the love of money and human approval. Liberate me from the tyranny of today's to-do list and receive every task, every meeting, every chore, every project as an act of worship. Who does that resonate with? And lastly, keep me from conforming to the world around me and make me more like Jesus. Father, finish the work you have started within me and through me, making me a little bit more like Jesus every day. Refrain me from doing anything to make his death look cheap or meaningless. Equip me to increasingly think, talk, and act like someone who has been saved at an infinite cost and entrusted with the greatest news the world has ever known. Who resonates with that? Yeah. So Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would do a deeper work in us now. As we sing to you and as we pray to you, as we write down our prayers and we ask other people to pray for us, once again, would you come and be our kinsman redeemer? Would you be the one who we find faithful even when we are faithless? In Jesus' name, amen.